Hello and welcome back to Days Gone By, a podcast that is part of the Scattered Abroad Network. My name is Jameson Stewart, and today's episode of Days Gone By is a sermon by Don Walker. And in this sermon, he will be discussing the idea of changes in gospel preaching. If you're a gospel preacher, you're really going to want to tune into this. If you are maybe interested in preaching, or perhaps if you are just interested in in gospel preaching, you're really going to enjoy this episode. Don Walker was a uh, instructor of mine when I went through the Memphis School of Preaching. Uh, he has gone on to his reward now, and I do miss him dearly. But I always remember his classes uh, with great fondness. He was a wonderful teacher, and I know that you are going to enjoy hearing a lesson from him. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Days Gone By with Don Walker. I don't remember where I heard this or where I got it. In fact, I don't know that I remember all of it uh, the way it uh, was originally quoted. I did fill in some of the blanks of my memory, so uh, this is uh, from somebody else. I did uh, add a little to it. It begins, preach a sermon, preacher. Make it short and sweet. Our stomachs strike at 12 o'clock, a hungering for to eat. Preach a sermon, preacher. Don't get too specific. As long as you will generalize, we think you are terrific. Preach a sermon, preacher. Take heed to what we say. If you use too much scripture, we'll send you on your way. Preach a sermon, preacher, but don't be too bold, for we will never tolerate preaching like that of old. Preach a sermon, preacher. Make it what we want to hear. We'll pat you on your spineless back as you tickle our itching ears. That is the attitude for far too often in the Lord's church today. They don't want to hear a Bible. They don't want to hear a sermon that convicts men of sin. They want to be entertained. They want to have a good laugh. They want to be pacified. They want to be patted on the back and told how great they're doing. But they don't want to hear the Word of God preached. I've been preaching for over 30 years. I don't know where the time went. It seems like yesterday I was sitting down, Jerry Moffitt's class, and just starting out, I don't know when the transition happened from a young preacher to an old preacher. I don't know where that window was that they talk about. It went by rapidly. But in the 30 years that I've preached, and I know there are those in this audience that could go back even further than that, as far as hearing gospel preaching, appreciating it, preaching has changed. We don't hear the same kind of preaching that we used to hear. As we go to God's Word, we realize that preaching was ordained of Jehovah Himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul wrote that Jehovah had determined that through the foolishness of preaching, the good news would be made known. As we go over and we read in Titus chapter 1 and verse 3, it pleased God, it says, and He has manifested His Word through preaching. If you silence the preaching, you silence the Word of God. How can they call on Him whom they have not believed? How can they believe on Him whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? As we see in Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. 
As we, see, as we seek to find out and to study what God's purpose was for sending Christ, why did he come to earth? We're reminded of Luke 19 and verse 10. He came to seek and save the lost. But we must also remember in Mark chapter 1 and verse 38, he said, let us go into the next city so I can preach because that's why I have been sent. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, he went everywhere preaching the good news of the kingdom, gospel preaching. John the Baptist, while he was on earth, he preached. Jesus Christ, while he was on earth, he preached. The apostles that he sent out go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark 15, 15. They preached. They were beaten for it. They were arrested for it. And when they were set free, they went on their way rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And they went from house to house, and they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. God had only one son. He was a gospel preacher. If you want to see the attitude, if you want to see the thrust of the work of the first century church, I believe you could go to Acts chapter 4. It's in the context of great persecution that is arising concerning the church. It has become so intense that they were scattered abroad. And it says, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word, Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Acts chapter 8 and verse 5 says they preached Christ. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12 says he preached the things concerning Christ and the kingdom. Acts chapter 8 and verse 35, he preached unto him Jesus. Gospel preaching. You close the book of Acts and you come to the last verse of that book. And what do we see? The apostle Paul, he is in a house prison. He's receiving all that comes in. And what's he doing? He is preaching concerning the kingdom of heaven and teaching concerning Christ. Preaching. The power of preaching. Paul said, I came not to baptize, but I came to preach the gospel. As we go to 1 Philippians chapter 1 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul is talking about the affliction that he is going through. He says, because of this, because of the fact that I'm imprisoned and because I'm having some success here, why? Because he was preaching and teaching, that's why. He said, there are brethren who are emboldened because of me and because of what I'm doing and because of my situation. I'm grateful for that. He said, there are some who are preaching out of strife they want to add affliction to my burden and they want to add more burden to it. But he said, whether it's sincere, whether it's in pretense, Christ is preached and I rejoice. I'm glad for that. The power of preaching. Some congregations have abandoned it altogether. They want to have plays. They want to have skits. They want to have... Uh, dramas, they want to have entertainment, they'd rather have an after-dinner speaker than they would a gospel preacher. Some congregations have tolerated false doctrine so long that they are no longer a congregation of the Lord's church. They are nothing more than just another denomination among many denominations. And a lot of times that change was propagated in the pulpit by the preaching. And you know whose fault it was? If this pulpit is weak, you know whose fault it is? It's your fault. You say, well, wait a minute. Our elders are the one that hired him. 
Well, who put the elders in in the first place? You did. You don't have the right to sit there and listen to just whatever anybody wants to do and say up here. You must demand Bible preaching. Demand gospel preaching. False teaching comes out of this pulpit. You have a responsibility to remove it. Rebuke him. Give him an opportunity to repent and make it right. And if he won't, send him on his way after you withdraw from him. And don't write letters to anyone tell him how great a preacher he is. And don't just sit on your thumbs when he goes over here to another congregation and not write them a letter and let them know what he was teaching and preaching. That's the problem. We need gospel preaching. Jude 3 and 4, we see Jude writing, and we can relate to what he writes. Probably the half-brother of Jesus, the brother of James, who wrote the epistle of James. And he said, when I first set out, I wanted to write concerning the common salvation. Oh, I imagine every gospel preacher in here would say that he would much rather be able to stand in the pulpit each Sunday and preach concerning God's grace and God's love and the great salvation and how glorious heaven's going to be. I imagine that were we to ask the members of this congregation, what do you like to hear? What do you enjoy hearing? And rightfully so, we enjoy hearing of the love of God, of heaven. We love to hear of the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. But Jude said, I found it necessary. Oh, I wanted to write concerning the common salvation, but I found it necessary that I write unto you and exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares. They're polluting the pulpits. They're closing the eyes of men to the gospel of Christ. They're false teachers. You know the way some brethren reason? They, don't, they act like they don't believe there's anything such as a false teacher. But I want you to listen to what Jude wrote concerning these that they were allowing to come in. These that they were allowing to weaken and water down the pulpit. They were allowing them to teach false doctrine. Jude verse 11 is where I'm going to begin. It says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. And ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perisheth in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. You'll find very similar language. He said there were false prophets in the days of old. There'll be false teachers among you. They promise you great things with great swelling words and hand you a bunch of nothingness. Priest in San Antonio for 13 years. When we were there the first time, we preached there about 20 three, 24 years ago, and we were there about three and a half or four years, and that's when Max Lucado came to Oak Hills. 
had an opportunity to speak with him, to hear him speak. And you know what came to my mind while he was up there, quote, unquote, preaching? I said, that's just a bunch of cotton candy. Put it in your mouth and nothing to chew on. Got worse and worse, though. Cotton candy laced with poison. That's what it is. And people love it. Oh, they eat that stuff up. And yet we go to God's Word and we see and learn that God has told us what we must do. He very clearly, very powerfully, very simply said, Timothy, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. I have no right to stand in this pulpit and preach unto you anything but, thus saith the Lord, the Word of God. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 1, Titus was told, speak the things that befit sound doctrine. We find that in God's Word and God's Word only. We're to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4 and verse 15. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17 and verse 17. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. 1 Peter 4 and verse 11. That's the only message that I have a right to stand before you and to proclaim before you. And when I'm sitting where you are, as we have been through these various lessons in the last two or three days, I expect a man to get up here and preach the word. I don't want to hear about his stories and his families. and I don't want to hear about illustrations that he dug out of some illustration book. I want to hear the word of God preached. If he can emphasize a truth from God's word with a powerful illustration, good. But we got too many preachers who go find an illustration... And then they want to just chunk in a few verses in there and throw that out as a gospel sermon. The emphasis is all wrong. And as I tell those young men that come through the preacher training school, don't waste your money on the illustration books. You've got a God-given illustration book. Turn to the Old Testament and study it. It's full of illustrations. Preach that. Preach the Word. We need to preach that which pleases God. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and following, I am amazed. He says, and I'm paraphrasing, I am amazed that you are so soon removed from the gospel of Christ to another gospel, which is not another gospel, but a perversion of the gospel. He said, do we now preach to please men or God? If I yet please men, I wouldn't be the servant of Christ. Galatians chapter 1. Verses 6 through 10. We'll pat you on your spineless back as you tickle our itching ears. They're not pleasing God. They're not gospel preachers. They're up there wasting time, wasting air. I am amazed at what passes for gospel preaching nowadays or just preaching nowadays. I'm amazed at what the brethren will accept. False doctrine, we've already talked about that. But I'm not necessarily even talking about just false teaching. It is possible for a man never, ever to teach one false doctrine and still not be a gospel preacher as defined in God's Word. 
because he doesn't have the fortitude, doesn't have the, the strength, doesn't have the mental capacity to preach all of God's Word. What happened to Bible preaching? What happened to book, chapter, and verse preaching? We sit here and we look over the Lord's church today and we recognize and most of us admit it is not what it ought to be. We then look and we see how preaching has declined. Can we not put two and two together? I grew up hearing men like Andrew Conley, Wendell Winkler, and my favorite gospel preacher, dear friend who's gone on, Brother Johnny Ramsey. Book chapter and verse preaching but we got brethren that can't handle that we got brethren who go into spiritual shock if you put more than five or six verses into a sermon it was mentioned the other day oh you preach too much bible well do you understand what you are saying why do you say that I'm preaching too much Bible? Oh, we just can't understand that. We can't keep up. We don't recognize that. Well, why not? Why don't you just tell it for what it is? I'm too ignorant concerning God's Word, and when you preach from God's Word, that's foreign to me. That's what you ought to say. And what do we do as a preacher? Oh, the brethren aren't going to get anything out of that. We'll just chop out about 85% of our Bible then. And we take the same attitude that our schools are taking. We dummy it down so no one will feel bad about themselves. I would rather preach God's Word powerfully, clearly, plainly, book, chapter, and verse, and let the weak ones complain until they get stronger. And let them whine and moan until they become deeper and stronger in their faith. I'd rather bring them up than bring the preaching down. And that's the point. Book, chapter, and verse preaching, but people don't want to hear it. And there are a lot of preachers who want to please the people. We go back to the days of old. If you were to follow a prophet around, an Old Testament prophet, Oh, we know that there were times when they would foretell, that they would prophesy of things coming on and things that were in the future and things that would be concerning Christ and the, the kingdom, the messianic promises. That was not the predominance of their work, though. If you were able to walk around with a prophet of old and just watch him and listen to him, he would remind you of a gospel preacher. Now, I'm not talking about these preachers that claim to be gospel preachers. I'm talking about a real, live gospel preacher who preaches the Word. That was the task of the prophets, and they ran into the same attitudes that we run in today. The prophets prophesy falsely, the priests bear rule by their means, and the people love to have it so. Jeremiah 5 and verse 31. The Word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They do not delight in it. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 10. Truth is perished in the earth and cut off from their mouths. Jeremiah 7 and verse 28. They are not valiant for the truth on the earth. Jeremiah 9 and verse 3. Now some of my liberal brethren and some of my cowardice preacher friends were there 
They would have stopped preaching. They would have just slid right in with the false prophets. They might, might not want to teach the false doctrine, but they sure wouldn't let the truth ring out. But Jeremiah was told by Jehovah, I put my word in your mouth, and this is what I want you to do. You will go in and you will root out, you will pull down, you will destroy, you will throw down, then you're able to plant and build. We've got too many preachers trying to plant and build when there's things that ought to be torn up first. You can't plow a field until you get the stumps and the rocks out of it. Then you can plant and build. But if some of my weak brethren were there, I can just imagine it. Jeremiah 22 and verse 29 would have gone something like this. Oh, earth, 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 hearing the word of the Lord. I doubt that's how Jeremiah said it. Oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. I wonder what would happen if some of our weak brethren who are in the pulpit were there in Acts chapter 7. I can imagine how that preaching would go. Oh, he would stand up and he'd say, there was our brother Joseph, our forefather. And he was rejected by his brethren, but he delivered his brethren. They could hear the amens then, couldn't they? And let me talk to you about our forefather Moses, rejected by his brethren. And yet he delivered them. Amen, preacher. Now let us stand and sing, they would say. That's not what Stephen did. He said, let me tell you something. He said, Jesus Christ, who you crucified, who you rejected, if you're going to be delivered, it'll be delivered, you'll be delivered by him. Then he goes on and tells them who they are. You're stiff-necked and uncircumcised. Your fathers rejected the word of God just as you reject the word of God. What did he do? Was he successful? Yes. Why? He cut their hearts. The same language in Acts chapter 2 is found in Acts chapter 7. Their hearts were pricked in Acts chapter 2, and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Their hearts were pricked in Acts chapter 7, and they bounced rocks off the preacher's head. Both of them were successful. Peter had 3,000 responses. Stephen had a response. Oh, I wonder sometimes how Revelation chapters 2 and 3 would read if some of my weak, cowardice brethren were doing the writing. Ephesus would have been told, oh, you're doing a great job. You're working, you're laboring, you're toiling, you're being spent. You're trying those who claim to be apostles and finding out that they are not. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now let us stand and sing. Instead of I got all against you, you've left your first love. Thyatira would be told how things were going well and how they were increasing and the good that you're doing is increasing. But they never would have heard about that lady Jezebel that was among them. The adultery that's going on. That's what I'm talking about. You don't have to be a false teacher or preacher to be pleasing to the devil. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 20 and also verse 27, Paul said, I've kept back nothing that is profitable unto you. I've not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. 
We've got those congregations who have among them adultery, fornication, and you sit there week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, and they don't hear the whole counsel of God because the preacher is such a, big, such a coward that he won't say what God's Word teaches. If you put away your spouse for a reason other than fornication and you've married another, you are an adulterer, an adulteress. And if you don't change, the elders need to come to you and talk to you. And if you don't come out of it, you'll be withdrawn from. No. They're not preaching false doctrine, but they're not teaching the whole counsel of God. Preaching. Gospel preaching. What about the prophet Amos? We talked a little bit about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet of Anatoth. Bold in his proclamation of truth, it got him in trouble. Threw him in a dungeon. Probably sunk halfway up to his chest in the mire and the bugs and the scorpions and all of that there because he's preaching the truth. But Amos, I love studying the prophet Amos. Amos was confronted when he was prophesying in the northern kingdom. He was sent from the southern kingdom. And his response was, I wasn't the son of a prophet. I wasn't a prophet. I was a herder of sheep. A difficult sheep, but the wool was very precious. And a tender to the sycamore tree. It was a tree that was very difficult. Each piece of fruit on the limb had to be pierced before it would ripen and then be able to be picked. He said, but the lion roared, and I'm going to preach, and I'm going to prophesy, and I'm going to let you know what the Lord wants you to know. You see, he wasn't a professional prophet. He wasn't that hireling that we heard about just a moment ago. God said, go, and he went. God said, speak, and he spoke. Amaziah, the high priest, came to him, told the king, he's troubling the king's land. He said, this is the land of the king. Go back down south, eat your meat down there. Some see that as an insinuation that Amaziah is making toward Amos. That's the only reason you're here is for the money. What you can get out of it so you can eat. Just go get your money down there. Just go eat down there. And Amaziah said, the lion roared, I'll prophesy. And by the way, Mr. Amaziah, I've got a prophecy for you, five-fold prophecy for you, in fact. Your wife will be a harlot in the streets. Your children will die by the sword. Your land will be divided. You'll die in a strange land, and Israel will go into captivity. I'll never forget what Brother Ramsey once said concerning the prophet Amos. Amos was going to preach no matter what happened, no matter what they said, no matter what he did to them. If the walls cracked and the ceiling fell in, he was going to preach. If the liberals squawked and the weak members of the church murmured and complained, he is going to preach. That's what we need in the pulpit today. That's why the church is weak. That's why the church, you look across the nation, you look across the world, and a lot of times you see those claiming to be the church who don't stand for anything. They haven't heard a gospel sermon in years, if they heard one at all. Preaching's changed. 
We need Bible preaching. We need focused preaching. Preaching that has a purpose. Preaching that is determined. Our preaching must never get very far away from at all the main theme of God's Word. From Genesis to Revelation, there is a thread of thought that goes through. It is the love of God in Christ Jesus to the salvation of the souls of men. That's the message. It gives us warning concerning those things that are after the soul, false teaching, denominationalism, weak brethren. But we've got to preach Christ and Him crucified. That's got to be the core of our preaching. We've got to preach of the grace of God that brings salvation unto all men, Titus 2 and verse 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though we were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. That's what we're talking about. Why do you think Brother Johnny over here does what he does? Because there is a treasure for men to possess. That's why. Why do you think elders take the stands that they ought to take when they take the stand they ought to take? It's because of the love of God. It's their love for the souls of men, and they want them to share in this treasure. That's why. God's soul loved the world. That's got to be an emphasis in our preaching, John 3 and verse 16. Salvation is in Christ Jesus and in Him alone, Acts 4 and verse 12. There's only one way to the Father, John 14 and verse 6. Our preaching needs to be focused and determined. We need to preach the whole counsel of God, as we mentioned earlier. We need to preach more on the first principles concerning the church. We wonder why we're losing our young folks because we've expected them to live on borrowed faith. They're asked, why don't you use instrumental music? Their answer is, well, I don't know. We just never have, and so they're not prepared. They're not ready to give an answer for the hope that's in them, 1 Peter 3, 15. We need to continually emphasize, and I've had brethren come to me, dear sister in Christ, older lady, went through a series of first principles, and she came to me and said, we've heard that all our lives, and I said, aren't you glad you did? But what about our young people? They've never heard it. What about those visitors out there? They haven't heard it either. And what about Peter when he said, I know you know these things, but I'm going to bring them to your remembrance because you need to hear them again and again and again. We need to dust off our sermons on the silence of the Scriptures and why we don't use instrumental music. It's not because we can't afford it. If God told us to have one, we'd have one. But He never told us. We need to let them know that it is not a matter of opinion. It is a matter of doctrine and the souls involved. We need to let them know why we partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. And why we use unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. And we need to stress to them and stress to them and stress to them. This is an action of worship that brings us to the cross every first day of the week. I don't know if we're emphasizing it enough. Why do you stress attendance? It's amazing to me that we have taken one of the most cardinal, elementary concepts of New Testament Christianity, and that has become our standard of faithfulness. 
Is brother so-and-so faithful? Well, yeah, he's here every time the door is opened. Well, whoop-de-doo. Are they faithful? That's what I'm asking. Are we so naive to think that everyone that's here every time the door is open is a faithful Christian Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? There's more to it than that. We need to stress these things. We need to deal with the tough topics, the hot potato topics. Coming up toward the end of the year, there's going to be a dance, a prom somewhere, sometime in this area, I know. And there are going to be young people going to their parents and saying, can I go to the prom? Hopefully parents will say no. The young people won't give up right there, will they? They'll then go to mom. Can I go to the prom, mom? Hopefully she'll say no. Hopefully they'll say more than that. It's a work of the flesh. It leads you into things that the devil wants you to walk in, but the Lord wouldn't have you have any part of it. It's listed among those things that are characterizing those who will never possess the kingdom of heaven, Galatians chapter 5. But they won't give up there, will they? They'll keep on, please, mama, please, everybody's going. And we need to be like Jehovah when he was talking to Moses and Moses was appealing to God and desiring, longing, let me go into the promised land just to see it. And finally God said, enough. We will speak no more of this. You have my answer. And we need parents that will draw that line. Enough. And they need to have a pulpit that will back it up. That will help to encourage them. To let them know they're doing the right thing. Oh, my children hate me. Good. Might be doing something right. There were times that my children did not like Jackie. They always like me, but <laughs> my dear wife, Jackie, HD's little buddy. There are times our children weren't happy with us at all. They got over it. They knew why we did it. Deep down, they knew why we, oh, I hate you, you hate me. No, deep down, they know you love them. That's the kind of preaching we need. We need to deal with the tough topics. Modesty. Priest in California, Southern California, about 40 miles out of Los Angeles. Priest a sermon on modesty, mixed bathing. One of the elders' wives came up to Jackie and said, Oh, you can preach that sermon in Minnesota, but you can't preach it here. We got the beaches. My first thought was, well, Minnesota's a land of a thousand lakes, isn't it? Next sermon, bless Jackie's heart. She should have known it was coming, but she did kind of. Next sermon, I got up and said, we say, uh, we hear that uh, can't preach on modesty and mixed bathing because we've got the beaches here in Southern California. And I said, the problem is not the churches in Southern California. The problem is Southern California is in the church. Got to deal with those issues. Our young people are confused. 
Our young people don't have lines, boundaries set forth clearly in their minds. We've got to set those boundaries for them. And our preaching. Marriage, divorce and remarriage. For as long as I can remember, and I'm just talking about going back as far as my mind and thinking on things, it has plagued the church, false teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And yet we don't always hear a whole lot of sermons in pulpits. We hear it in, con- we hear it in uh, lectureships or something like this. But at home, on the home battleground, do we hear it? Sit down. Preach a sermon, preacher. Make it short and sweet. I had an elder come to me one time where I was preaching. He said, we know what you believe on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And you can believe that and teach it other places, but don't teach it here. We've got it here. Had a two-point sermon the next Sunday. Number one, elders don't have the right to tell preachers what they can and cannot preach. Oh, they can come to a preacher and say, brother, we, we have this issue and we're dealing with it. And we're, we're trying to make it right. And if you'll hold off a little bit on it, that will help us. They can do that, and the preacher ought to appreciate that and listen to it. Or they can come to him and say, we want you to preach this. And they have that right. They're the overseers. But they cannot say, don't preach this topic. That was my first point. The second point, the Bible teaches this on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Got to deal with the tough topics our preaching needs to pierce the heart come on up come on up we need preaching that'll cut the heart that's how you measure the sermon did it make people make a choice or were they able after you preached to sit on that fence for another week and not have to choose between right or wrong The choice they make is not what determines the success of a preacher. Did they have to make a choice? Were they cut in their heart? Our preaching needs to be alive. It needs to be practical. It needs to be personal. I'm not preaching to Southwest Church of Christ right now. I'm not in Southwest preaching. The message has to be alive for you. Practical for you personal to you but preachers brethren don't want preachers to get personal do they they don't want preachers to deal with the issues that come up in the congregation going to hurt somebody's feelings going to run somebody off well good they'd be blind leaders of the blind anyway let them go they'll both fall in the ditch that's how jesus responded when he was so don't you know that you offended them Well, if truth offends them, let them be offended. Maybe they'll go and think about it a little bit. Maybe they'll grow up a little bit and realize that, you know, instead of getting mad at the preacher for saying anything, I ought to hug his neck. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and and I've often wondered how this was received. I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall, the proverbial fly on the wall, to see the brethren in Corinth when they received this letter. And Paul says, I've been talking to some of the members there, the house of Chloe, and they've let me know there's division among you, and I believe it. And what's he do? I'm not going to deal with that because I don't want to hurt any of your feelings. That's not what he did. 
Do you think there were some of those in Corinth? Well, what's the house of clothes think they're doing spreading our business all over everywhere? I bet you there were some. You see? When we walk disorderly, we ought to become uncomfortable among the people of God. I remember the words of Brother Marshall Keeble, I've come to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. We need more afflicting because we're getting too comfortable. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul says, you've got a problem in that congregation. You've got two sisters of Christ, Yodis and Tiki, they're at odds with one another. Deal with it. And brethren, you help them deal with it. Oh, we hear about preachers, hear about things that are going on in the congregation, and they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so they'll kind of climb down under the pulpit somewhere, somebody, sometime is sinning somehow. Try to mark someone. Try to bring somebody back who have obviously gone back into the world. Maybe you can save their soul. But at least you've shown the love that you have and then just as sure as you do, you'll have somebody come to you. What do you think you're doing? How dare you talk to them like that? The answer, how dare I have to? You should have been doing it. But we're carnal in our minds. We're weak in our faith. And we don't want to hear it. And so it's a lot easier for us to get mad at the preacher, get mad at a brother or sister in Christ who's trying to salvage a soul. And all along we show our weakness and our pettiness our carnality, our worldliness. Preach a sermon, preacher. So I wrote a few more verses, I guess. Bring it from the book. Preach a sermon, preacher. Book, chapter, and verse. Preach a sermon, preacher. Make it bold, make it strong. Let me know you believe it. Preach a sermon, preacher. For how can they call on him whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And another thing, and we'll close it right here. I hear too many sermons that don't emphasize God's plan of salvation. There is someone in this audience, I am confident, that needs to know right now that they have an opportunity to make things right with God. Maybe it's someone who's not a member of the church. Might be that you don't even know what the Bible says about the, the salvation, what God expects of us. I know there are brethren who are here who would love to sit down and study with you, open your Bible and see what it says we must do. Might be that you're not a member, but you've been here before. You've heard the gospel preached. You know what the Bible says. You haven't attended unto it. Why not? You're lost. We want you to be saved. God wants you to be saved. You can come and respond. Might be you're a member of the church. You haven't been as faithful as you ought to be. You haven't lived the way you ought to live. You've got matters in your heart and in your mind that are jeopardizing your standing with God. 
One of the greatest privileges I have as a gospel preacher is to let people know that God invites you to come. That there's no reason for anyone in this audience this morning to walk away with their soul still in jeopardy. Not one reason at all. Oh, you can come up with a boatload of excuses. But not one reason. And instead of getting mad at the preacher, or mad at the elders, or mad at faithful brethren, you need to swallow your pride, make things right, and then give them a hug around the neck and say, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving the souls. Your opportunity is now. I'm convinced that we have come to this moment in time because of the long-suffering of our God desires that someone have another opportunity to make things right. If you need to come, please do so while we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.